Welcome to They Live By Film, a film discussion podcast focusing on the Criterion channel and beyond. My name is Adam Lundy, and I am joined as always by my co-hosts, Chris Haskell and Zach Bryant. How are you doing today, guys? Are you in the Christmas spirit? Not even a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Says the guy who was working in retail up until recently. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't help. (laughs) I will kill it. That will kill it real fast. (laughs) Listening to Mariah Carey on repeat 75 times a day. See, now I get to ruin other people's Christmases for a living. It's not (laughs) mine. It's like revenge for all those years. (laughs) Uh, I think we've talked about it before. We're a very Christmas household. Um, Surprisingly, we haven't seen a lot of Christmas movies, though. Like, we see... We've had that one. Do y'all? I don't know if y'all would have a reason to watch the Christmas Chronicles on Netflix. The one with um, Kurt Russell. That's the one. I've seen oh, the first one. I watched the first one. It was actually pretty good. I watched the first. Yeah. This is like when it came out, like two years ago. I watched it, and it was yeah. pretty good. I haven't seen it's, the sequel. Yeah. Well, we've seen all of them, both of them, several times. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and they're not bad. It's fun to see Kurt Russell, you know, hamming it up. And then um, that have, have you all seen that movie Claws, the the Netflix animated special Claws? No. Mm-mm. Okay, I know this sounds weird. What it like? Watch it. That movie is awesome. They've captured all the kind of like mystique of uh, a holiday film from the '90s, uh, and they've made a great movie. It's kind of like an origin story for Santa Claus in in a, in a weird way. Oh. Uh, it's really good. I'm not really a Christmas movie kind of guy, but I promised my fiance that we'll, we'll watch a couple. We have, we have some friends coming over for a few drinks later, but tomorrow we're both off work. She's, she's still, I've been off in the last couple of days, but she's off from tomorrow. So promise her we'll watch a few Christmas movies. So we'll, I'll put that one on the list. Along with It's a Wonderful Life. She has somehow never seen It's a Wonderful Life. So that, that no, kind of no. has to happen. You have to watch it once, but I think I've only ever watched it once. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen it at least a couple of times. It's just one of those films that come on. So it's always on TV stuff. So even if you haven't sat down and watched it yourself, you've seen it in passing. You know, you know every yeah, everybody knows everything about a wonderful life. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's like knowing the plot of a Christmas Carol, you know it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so this episode, as you might guess from the title uh, and the description, is not a usual episode. We're not going to be talking about our film club films uh, this week. We are going to do a bumper sort of wrap up episode of 2021. We're going through a few different categories, essentially just talking about, you know, some of the, some of our favorite films that we've seen this year, um, highlighting, you know, ones we've talked about on the podcast and also ones that we haven't been actually dissecting. Just, just a, a nice wrap up from us three just to, to sort of see what we liked and what we didn't like. And um, we're going to start off just by essentially just talking about our five favorite films that we've seen this year doesn't necessarily have to be like a top five, just just five of our favorite films that we want to highlight. And um, so we'll, we're going to go down in ranking order from five to one. But if, if you guys are like me, which I'd say you probably are, these are probably all pretty interchangeable the whole way down anyway. Um, so yeah, I think we're just going to go through like five and then four and three as, as the three of us anyway. So um, does anyone want to kick off for, for their number five? Anyone want to jump in? Uh, well, if, I'm happy to. Um, I Yeah, these are not ranked necessarily, but, you know, I, earlier in the year, I did my Fellini kind of run, like there is filmography. Hmm. So I thought I would include at least one of his movies. The one that caught me probably by the most surprise that I had not seen before was The Ship Sails On. 
Do, do y'all remember when I was talking about that very much? Um, I think. Or did yeah. I talk about yeah. I definitely remember you mentioning it. it. It's the closest to a Wes Anderson movie that is in Fellini's catalog. And it's just this cool, simple story told in a very artful way, very stylized way, with that kind of same kind of dark humor that Wes Anderson has. Um, and, and, and some surreal images that, that I love. Like there's a scene in the end where there's a rhino in a boat with a guy because they have to escape the ship. And it's set to kind of like a painted background on fake water. And the whole thing just looks really cool and like surreal and I love it. So that's my number five. Nice, what about you, Zach? Um, for my number five, I will pick, well, um, I actually had two that you had recommended me, Adam, and I just decided oh. to just pick one of them. Okay. And the, the one I didn't go with was The Virgin Spring, which was like, my second Bergman I'd ever seen. It was great. Loved it. <laughs> um, but I decided to go for my number five was uh, The City of the Dead, which uh, yeah. I had never even really heard of. I'd heard of the version Spring and just never got around to it. But The City of the Dead was one that I, you know, there's something about when a movie just kind of catches you off guard or you don't expect it that just makes it just that little bit better. Uh, I, I love like the whole atmosphere of the thing. And honestly, I would probably put it as an October watch going forward it's just it has a lot of atmosphere to it it's a lot of fun um it looks gorgeous like i can't imagine the movie's expensive but it looks really good and era has a pretty nice release for it so that would probably be my number five yeah i appreciate you telling me about the arrow releases i had seen it on shutter i just came across it when i was looking i know I, i've been subscribed to shutter for about a year and never actually really used it so i was like just looking through their catalog and i saw oh Christopher Lee, this looks hammy and fun, but it was awesome. And I appreciate showing me there was an arrow release and I, I, I bought that as well. So I'll definitely be rewatching it. It's a, it's a pretty awesome little film. I think it was in a trilogy. So I, Cause I don't think they did like oh. the um, limited edition. I think it came with that and um, carnival, not carnival blood. It's the, it has the word blood in it and it takes place in a carnival. I'm sure Chris <laughs> would know it, but I cannot think of what it is. It's an old cheap horror it's film. Not you're not talking about Malatesta's Carnival of Blood? That's it. That's it. <laughs> okay. Of course he knew. I knew Chris would know it because I was like, I know. I, I've watched the movie. I couldn't. I think it was in their American um, Horror Volume 1 set. I think yeah. it's worth it. Very cool. Uh, my number five, I'm only going to be doing films that I watched for the first time in 2021. I don't know if you guys are doing the same. That's what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to put rewatches in because I've probably all the yes. rewatches but um my number five is a film that i talked about many times on the podcast saying oh i should really watch this and you guys have been like have you not seen this you gotta watch it and it's uh pta's there will be blood yeah um i've heard about this film for so long and i knew it was going to be amazing just purely based on the praise that it gets and i finally watched it about two or three weeks ago when i had a few days off and i was out sick and yeah, it, it lived up to the hype. The, the film is incredible. It's shot amazingly. It's like the best Kubrick film that Kubrick never made. Daniel Day-Lewis is incredible. Just the whole film is awesome. Paul Dano is awesome. Everything about that film is great. It's a, it's a 10 out of 10 film. Um, can't believe it took me so long to, to watch it. <laughs> yeah, and that's one thing I worried about because you bring up watching it. I'd always try to push you to watch it. It's like, I don't want to like hype it 
to a point that it could never reach because I was like, God, I'd hate for you to watch and be like, eh, it was all right. <laughs> no, it lived up to, to any any bit of hype. Like even even without you maybe pushing for it, the film is just so hyped in general. Um, so yeah, I'm glad I finally watched it. It'll be one that I revisit a lot as well, I'm sure. And then Johnny Greenwood scores great. Oh yeah, well of course Johnny Greenwood. Yeah. I, as you guys know, I'm a big Radiohead fan, so anything he touches turns to gold. This is not the first Johnny Greenwood scored film we will talk about. Oh, I didn't um, figure in it would this be. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the top five, yes, but in the podcast, no. Um, number four, I might as well just hop in. Then we might as well just go, you know, go in the same order, reverse. So, uh, my number four is another hugely influential and beloved film that I had just never gotten around to watching, uh, which is Apocalypse Now from Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, stunning film, absolute masterpiece. I wish I didn't watch the version with the French family because it's just fucking stupid and it kills the film. But even, even with that, knowing that that doesn't exist in the theatrical version, I can ignore it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just an insane, it's an insanely well-made film. The production yeah. values are nuts. The action sequences are insane. Martin Sheen is incredible. Marlon Brando is incredible. The whole film is just a knockout. You know, um, when it, oh, sorry. Um, yeah, no, that was, that was I, I was just going to say, you know, that I remember it had been years since I'd seen it when I watched it a couple of years ago. And I, I, I watched the documentary first, which is Heart of Darkness. I don't know if Heart you've watched Darkness. that yet, but definitely watch it. And you go through this thing and you're, you're just hearing how difficult Marlon Brando is to work with. And you're like, God, why did, why did Francis Ford Coppola put up with him twice? Not just once, but twice. Yeah. And then you watch the film, you're like, oh, that's right. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> you just want to just people, you just, you kind of put up with it just to be able to work with him because he's that good. Yeah. Because he's only There's in like 15 minutes of the movie. I mean, he's not in a lot. Yeah, and, and most of that is just him hiding in the shadows to hide the fact that he's massively overweight. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't read the book. Yeah. Uh, this, not that they're the same at all, but I just want to make sure, while you, since you love that movie so much, have you all both seen The Deer Hunter? Yes. I haven't, No. Okay. I've seen painfully I, little Coppola films. I've seen the first Godfather and now Apocalypse Now, and that's it. That's actually uh, Michael Camino. Is that how you say his name? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, you're right. My apologies. No, yeah. you're good. You're good. I can see why they'd be confused, honestly. Yeah, but yeah. not necessarily Coppola wise, just tone wise, I guess. It's just, it's in the, they made some dark movies in that era. Like, The Deer Hunter is really. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. that's, yeah. yeah. And then that, that one's nerve wracking. I, I don't know if you know much about it, Adam. Um, but it, I know it, about the a lot scene. of Russian roulette, and it yeah, is I know about the Russian roulette experience. Yeah, I think you can't avoid the Russian roulette because it's literally put, it's on every fucking poster and mm-hmm. cover art for the film. <laughs> it's you know, yeah. guy holding a gun to his head. So I don't think you can really avoid that. But that's pretty much all I know about the film. It's in Vietnam. They play Russian roulette a lot. I know nothing else about the film. I don't know if uh, you could. Shout's actually got a 4K release of it that looks really good. Okay, I'll have to take a look and see. Yeah, if you're interested in watching, that's one I have. Yeah, um, that's one. Where, I mean, you know, there's this whole debate about like, is 4K necessary for all movies or whatever? Not to get into that, but that's one where 4K would probably help a lot because there's a lot of dark rooms. Um, well, and it depends on the film. Like, you know, I, I, when I rewatched Apocalypse Now on the 4K, I was like, you know, this almost looks modern. Like, just how, you know, Copula was, 70s Copula was definitely his height. And uh, he, 
it just looks like it could be made today with especially with the 4k and you're like this just looks good that's cool Apparently, yeah. the worry i have with 4k is losing the grain if they some. yeah if they choose to take the grain out it's awful yeah that's the only thing i worry about with with remasters and 4k in general just because the grain makes the film for me you know and it just mm-hmm. it just gives it that feel so I, I I would worry about that, but I'm yet to come across that, so it's it's not a big deal. But I would don't worry get the Terminator Two 4K. <laughs> right? Okay, that's ruined. Okay. They like sorry if, if as you much as it could go. Sorry if you happen to have made that film and you're happen you happen to be listening to us. We're we're not shitting on your work. I'm sure. Um, not at all. What's what, what's your number four then, Zach? Uh, I'm gonna go with um, I've got to get. Nick Cage in here at least once. Uh, I finally watched Bringing Out the Dead. Um, been a Scorsese fan forever. I love a lot of his movies, but I'd never seen it honestly because it never had a Blu-ray release, so I never bothered to buy it or anything else. And it was his last film of the 20th century, which had honestly been a really great run for him in general, where he had Goodfellas, Casino. Um, Jesus, I know there's more. I mean, he had. I think almost everything he did in the 90s was nominated for an award, except for Bringing Out the Dead which ended up being really great. Like, you know, the thing I like about Scorsese is how he uses, like how he changes New York to depend on, because almost everything he makes is in New York, but how he changes it to fit the film. And like, it feels like the whole movie has this like really hellish nightmarish thing going on. And, you know, I worked a third shift job. So I, the the idea of burnout is like at nighttime is awful. And I think it captures that perfectly. Yeah, that movie's awesome. Well, I haven't seen it. I know it's, it's one of the ones that are sort of pushed for Criterion to release a, a, a version of it. That's usually when you see people's wish lists for Criterion releases. I know it's usually pretty high up there. It would be um, mine. Yeah, I, I think yeah. it would be good for them to do. It's, 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 I think it might be the only Scorsese film that doesn't have a Blu-ray release. Boxcar Bertha has a Blu-ray release. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like a bit of an oversight of it is, because I've heard good things about it, not just from you, but from other people as well. So maybe it's just one of those things that is waiting for rights to expire. As if nobody else is interested in putting out a Blu-ray, I'm sure some some boutique company, whether it be Criterion or otherwise, would, would only jump on it. Yeah. What you got, Chris? So um, I think I'll go with Judex. So 1916, this, this guy named, and I'm, I don't mind pronouncing foreign names, but this name is especially hard. Louis Fuyad, I'll just go with that. It's F-E-U-I-L-L-A-D-E. I have no idea how to pronounce that. Louis Fuyad. Um, and he sits down with a team of writers and they create uh, 12 serials. So 20 to 30 minute, basically episodes of this superhero called Judex, which goes on to kind of inspire um, the shadow i believe which then inspires batman um so it's it he's not wearing like a bat costume but it's basically this story of this sort of wealthy vigilante that is taking justice into his own hands and it's this just amazing serial like i you know it's it's cool to think back in 1916 and 17 there was 12 of these just kind of coming into theaters briefly and and people are going to watch this story unfold and as it goes on like you kind of understand you get to see basically the the judex character sort of when he's in his prime and seeking justice and then 
over the course of the serials, you get to understand his motivation and you meet more of his family and, and there's like a whole arc uh, and it's done very well. It, it's sort of, is, it's kind of set the template for a lot of uh, superhero movies and, and generally just kind of like origin stories, I guess. Um, so I think it's something that if someone's interested in getting into silent film, it's very digestible. It just like, some of them are as short as 12 minutes. Some of them are as long as 30. Uh, and it's a, it's a, it's a great piece. Uh, Flickr Alley put out the, the DVD of it. I don't think there's a Blu-ray, but they very lovingly restored it. So it looks great. Did you watch the, um, I, I don't know if it's a remake or it's just an inspired homage, but the uh, Cry- Criterion Channel has a, a 63 movie called that as well. Yeah, it's from yeah. Uh, George Franju, the guy who made Eyes Without a Face. Oh, it is. Oh, that is, I knew his name looked familiar. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, when I put the review for Judex on our site, I used the 1963 photo by mistake. Um, uh, I haven't seen it yet, though. Sounds like he did a pretty good job if you were able to like confuse him if he got that yeah. out right. <laughs> I am. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if you saw. I, I had meant when I put up the release list for Criterion Channel in January, I had mentioned you in a comment, but I, with time differences, I don't know if you always see them. But um, there's a another serial sort of similar that's coming out from like a similar era called Les Vampires that's coming yeah, out in January, Chris. From, yeah, I saw that was coming out. I, yeah, you know so, what? I didn't know if I saw that comment. I'm sorry, but that's awesome. That that's coming on the channel. Coming on the channel next month. Yeah, it's another serial, sort of from that era from France. So seems to be like sort of a similar kind of idea. Seems to be more about like a crime syndicate and this guy kind of trying to hunt down this crime syndicate. But yeah, if you like Judex, it seems like it'll be up your alley. So and uh, it's no, the I've girl who played in in Judex, Musidora. Uh, that's the actress's name, but apparently she's in it as well. Oh, there okay. you go. Well, Finish I guess it. I'll have to use the door run. <laughs> um, no, thanks for the tip. That Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I'll definitely watch that. So number three for me, if we're going kind of reverse easier. here. Yeah. I, we did a Jia uh, Zhangqi. We saw a few of his films this year. Um, and I had seen, I can't remember if this was part of our discussion or this was, oh, no, it was, it was, uh, I think it was Platform, which was his second film. And I think as much as I love Zhao Wu, I think I might have even liked Platform more. It was just a little bit of a bigger world. You get to see more uh, of the kind of disaffected youth and a little bit more insight into maybe the tension between the, the parents, the adults and the, and the kids there. Uh, I, I loved it. It was, yeah, I, I could have put it anywhere in the top five. Um, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful movie. I think it's a little bit more entertaining than Jawu in terms of like pace and kind of what's happening on screen. So it's, it's really, really good. John K is kind of weird. I've seen two of his films this year, obviously both for the film club and I love Jawu and I'll talk about it later. And then I really did not care at all for unknown pleasures. So if platform is kind of closer to unknown pleasures, I don't think that would be my cup of tea. No, it's it's not. It's like it's almost like the difference between Alien and Aliens or something. You know, we're like okay. it, Alien is like this kind of contained film uh, with with a few characters, and then they really like expand the world for Alien. Um. So we'll, cool. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I don't know if that's the best analogy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, like I definitely, I'm definitely willing to give him more. I have a, an Arrow Academy release with like three of his films on it as well. So I want to give him, you know, as much as I love Zhao Wu, I want to give it more of a chance based on that rather than basing it purely on my coldness for unknown pleasures. So I'll, I'll put that yeah. on the watch list. Cool. What about you, Zach? Uh, for my number three, I'm going to go with um, Stage Fright Aquarius which I'm sure has an Italian name I won't be able to say. Um, I love slashers. I think anyone on here knows uh, I'm a big lover of that. Um, and I can't, I'm trying to think of the director's name. I can't think of it right off. It's been months since I've watched this, but he was a little bit more into a lot of the like Italian horror. He started with like the church and stuff like that. I believe it's the same guy. Sounds familiar. But it's just, it's just a really fun movie. It came kind of right at the end of the big slasher craze. It was like right at the end of the 80s. And it's one of the more unique ones. Like it takes a lot of the tropes and it takes a lot of things from Jallo, but it really just has fun with it. You know, it has your typical escapes, mental patient um, um, goes and tries to kill a bunch of people who happen to be working in a um, who do plays. So the whole, the whole thing is like, he's wearing a costume. That's a big part of the play and everything else. So there's a lot of confusion. Um, It's just, it's just a lot of fun. Like the, the kills are, fun and violent it's really engaging the characters are a little archetype but i wouldn't say to the point of like friday the 13th where they're unlikable they're still likable characters but they're just kind of they're not going to be anything complex but still fun yeah he you're right he did do church afterwards i just have his imdb page up it's uh michael suave that's it yep and then he did that della morte della more too which is great I've heard that's good. I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's good. Yeah, that's one with uh, Richard E. Grant. Is this or am I mixing that up? I'm not great with. Let's see. Uh, No, not as a main actor, anyways. Who's who's the main character in that again? Rupert Everett. Ah, Rupert Everett. That's I mixed it up. Yeah, I knew it was someone up again with Orr, who was English. Okay. (laughs) My mind went to Richard E. Grant, but yeah. Uh, so my number three, I will be continuing the trend of universally beloved films that I have been too lazy to watch uh, with um, Chinatown uh, by a pedophile. Um, really good <laughs> film. Amazing film. Amazing setup. Jack Nicholson kicks ass. I just love how it's, so, it's such a hazy film in terms of plot. It's like there's like a trend in film the last sort of 10 years that people are calling stoner noir, where the main character is not really, really knowing what's going on. There's kind of along the ride of the mystery. And Chinatown kind of feels like that, like an early version of that or like a you know, something that inspired it. Because it's just it's quite clearly a film noir. It is as film like, you know, it has all the tropes there that you need. But it's just kind of a bit hazy in terms of like you know, what's happening with the mystery and everything like that. It's kind of like, um, what's that um, shit? What's that uh, film by that director who made that film? I don't like images. <laughs> who made images again? Robert Altman. Robert Altman. What's that Altman noir with, with the guy? With, 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 yeah, 
long goodbye. I was going to say with Monica's dad from Friends. Yes, Elliot Gould. <laughs> the long goodbye. It's kind of like the long goodbye, you know, it's just kind of like hazy and the main character is kind of along for the ride, you know, that's, it's that kind of style in the war. But yeah, Chinatown, it looks incredible as well. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's not a, when I say hazy, I don't mean sort of lazily made or anything like that. The film is meticulous, but yeah, I, I love Chinatown when I watched it. I watched it on the, on the channel uh, earlier this year. And again, another universally beloved film that, absolutely lived up to the hype so that's always nice you know i, I don't think i've ever asked mm. do you have like a preference i know most noirs are in black and white but do you tend to stay away from color noir or do you kind of like both no i have no problem with neo-noir um my favorite film of all time can probably be called vertigo. a neo-noir with vertigo so yeah huh. no it doesn't doesn't bother me uh, you know sometimes black and white can be a little bit cooler with the shadow play and stuff but um yeah, I've I've no problem with with, with neo noirs either. You know, so I'm, I definitely don't have a preference. You know, I, I'm actually surprised. You know, there's been a kind of a, especially with like action and mystery movies and stuff. I noticed there's like been a lot of going back to like neon and stuff. I'm almost surprised that noir hasn't done. A, I, mean, I guess the closest you can come up with is what like 2049 is sort of that way, like a little neon noir sort of idea, but. I'm surprised yeah. there's actually not a little bit more of that since there's a lot more of that color play going on now. Yeah, I think it's it's something that will probably come in. I suppose like maybe something like Drive, you know, might classify as that, you know, yeah. as, as a kind of neon neo noir. Um, yeah, it's I think it's 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 a bit more niche than it probably should be. Um, like a lot of the kind of noir ish films that you see now so something like inherent vice or under the silver lake or brick you know they kind of more go for that sort of stonery vibe rather than mm-hmm. that sort of clean neon stylish vibe that kind of drive goes for uh, yeah maybe, maybe maybe a filmmaker will get on that i'd say edgar wright could probably do something with that if you wanted to um yeah. Well, you know, I was uh, we we've been rewatching the um, John Wick films last couple of nights because the expectation was that movie was supposed to come out in like three months, but never mind. Um, and it kind of does that with the way it uses its like colors and shadow and stuff like that. It's heavily dosed in like color. I've noticed this time watching through. And it kind and I was like, huh. It's, I mean, it's not noir because there's no mystery element to John Wick except for like the world building itself. But I was like, I'm surprised there's not more films that kind of play with that a little bit more at least not mainstream ones yeah and i haven't even seen a single john wick film oh you should they're so much fun yeah i've heard they're fun <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's never never really lined up for me or anything like that but uh all right i'll take on for number two and i've actually talked about this one before so i won't harp on it too much um is the witch who came from the sea i watched it earlier this year and I still haven't bought it. I need to actually buy that one. Has Arrow put that one out as well? I think it's actually in that same set, if I'm not. If yeah, I'm not I think it is, yeah, in that American <laughs> horror set, yeah. Um, it's it's just a, it's a really kind of bleakish movie. But I don't know. There's just something about it that's very alluring. It's it's hypnotic in a weird way. Like the main actress, who name I wish I could remember off, but she does such a great job in it where she plays this really unhinged type character but in a very believable way like you can see why people don't really suspect the whole lot like she just feels like oh she's just a little off and 
you know, but besides that, she's fine, but it's a lot more than that for her. And, you know, I like how it plays with the idea of if she's really a witch or if she's not, it's a cool yeah. little movie. I just really enjoy it. Millie Perkins. That's her name. Yeah. She, something about her. She was married to somebody really big in Hollywood. Oh, well, sorry. This reminds me of the girl who played in Possession a lot. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, totally. it reminds me a lot of that. Uh, totally. Um, Dean Stockwell she was married to. Yeah, Dean Stockwell? Yeah, Dean Stockwell she was married to. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, he's he's relatively big, I guess. Um somebody else and anyways yeah um but she's she's great in that i agree that's a, that's a cool choice i must have been adam did you did you do your number two uh, i didn't no uh, oh i'm I'll, sorry i i got no up. you're Go all, ahead and do your number two you're all good no i was gonna i was gonna <laughs> circle back after chris today but anyways it's all good uh my number i'm gonna move away from hollywood now uh my number two is a film that will probably surprise you that it's here when I tell you how long it is. Uh, let me see. This film is, it's not Satan Tango. No, no. Look, Satan Tango, it was good, but Jesus Christ, never again. Uh, this film is, is just shy of four hours long. It's three hours, 57 minutes. And it is Edward Yang's A Brighter Summer Day. Oh, yeah insane film like it it honestly it doesn't feel like four hours i, I watched it specifically because i was off like work that week and i said i'm gonna get through all the long films that i don't have time to watch on a normal work week so uh-huh. I, I i sat down in the morning and i watched it and luckily there's like a nice sort of time where you can take a break and to have some lunch and stuff and come back to it there's not specific chapters it's not like in parts or anything like that but there's like a there's a particular moment in the film that i won't discuss spoilers reasons that when it happens, kind of go, okay, I can take a break now. Um, but uh, yeah, it's an incredible film. It's so well directed. It looks phenomenal. Um, I, I had never seen, uh, oh no, I'm lying. I had seen an Edward. Am I lying again? Who made Taipei Story? Yeah, he did. He did. Okay, cool. I got. I, I thought I was going to mix them up with Sai Liang, Miang, that other guy, that other um, Taiwanese director. Uh, but yeah, Taipei Story, I'd seen that one. And then this is obviously his like most well-regarded film along with Yi Yi, um, which I'll, I'll probably get to sometime next year. Uh, but yeah, it's an incredible film. If you find yourself at four spare hours, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like four hours. It's not really slow or anything like that. There's a lot of plot that keeps things moving. You know, there's no, it, it's not like a satin tango where you watch a 20 minute scene of cows moving from one field to another. Um, which is genuinely the opening 20 minutes of Satan Tango is just following some cows as they move through a village. Brighter um, <laughs> Summer Day is not like that. There's so much plot. A lot goes on in that film. It just, it feels like an old epic, you know, like that kind of Lawrence of Arabia or, or Gone with the Wind, you know, those long epics that weren't boring because so much was happening. It's kind of like that, you know, there's there's so much happening with the characters and, and, and everything like that. It, that's why it doesn't feel as long as it did. Um, so yeah, bright, brighter summer day is, is my that's my number two. Honestly, you sold me a bit on that because honestly, I've seen the Criterion cover and it didn't really like speak to me at all. So I was like, yeah, I'm yeah. not gonna watch four hours of this, but I can get behind something like that. 
no it's cool and it has like it's it's essentially like a like a crime story um oh. so it's not even like there's a coming of age aspect to it of course as the main character is like a, a young teenager um but essentially it's like a crime story um okay. that's sort of set in the backdrop of taiwan after sort of it's tried, tried to split away from china um so yeah it's a really great film and you, you won't get bored watching it i can i can assure you of that much so number two, speaking of movies that I was like a little bit reluctant to get into, um, I've had this female prisoner series up on my shelf for a while from Arrow. Yeah. And I don't know. I just don't like, I just have never been crazy for like women in prison movies, like just for the sake of watching them. I know there's some good ones, but that's not like, I don't have a huge draw to just like see it just because that's the genre. Um, but I finally saw the first one. It's called number female prisoner 701. Um, colon scorpion i this movie is amazing <laughs> like it's an art house film it forget about the fact it's an exploitation movie forget about the fact it's a woman in prison film like this director went full art and he created this crazy like kind of like almost french new wave style uh but i don't even know what it is like it's this it's a very unique piece he uses colors Actually, it's not a French New Wave. It's, I don't know what it is. It's, it's, almost, it's, it's very like kind of theatrical and almost like operatic at times, the way he uses colors. And he'll like, if there's like memories or, or flashbacks or different, you want, he wants to, to go to like a different point in time, he'll just sort of almost like put the actors on a stage and use like, like beautiful colored scarves and like paintings and, and, and stuff. It's just, it's so creative. Um, I, I want to do everything I can to get people to see this movie. It's it's a tight 90. It's not, it's not a hard watch. And it's just so entertaining. So there's kind of like four of them sort of in the main. I mean, the series goes on after that, but the, the director is around for three of them. And then the main actress is around for four of them. Um, and so that's kind of like the first four in the series. And the first two of them are just, I, they're just, I've never seen anything like it before, especially from a genre film. Uh, so imaginative. I, I really think that like, if anybody's like only into uh, pretentious movies as people in our group talk about them and, and want to like dip their toes into genre films, like this is a hundred percent where I would put them uh, as, as the first step. So well done. I will, uh, I will second that because Chris here was very nice and bought me a set. He should have not bought me, but I'm so glad he did. Um, it's a beautiful arrow set. Um, but the, the, I've only seen the first two. I haven't got to see all four yet. Um, but especially the first. The first one is just so good. And I, I like the second one. Not as much, but I really did enjoy it. Especially the one thing I will say about the second one is it's got the best looking. And Chris, I know you'll know what I'm talking about. The leaves scene, the fall, the leaves falling scene. Yeah, that, that, that part's gorgeous. It's honestly breathtaking how good it looks. You guys are telling me on it. You guys have sold me on it because I had seen the box set from Arrow and I thought this isn't really appeal to me. Women in prison movies, not really. Yeah, don't really care. Yeah, um, but no, they sound they sound awesome now. That, have you seen Lady Snowblood, Adam? No, I haven't. It's been on my watch list forever, but I of course not watched it. <laughs> uh, you'll be addicted to her stuff after you watch one of them. So it's it's pretty easy. <laughs> it's the same actress. So. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah no, I, I definitely need to. Oh, so these are, it's like a Japanese series. Is it? I, I literally, I, I saw the title of the set and I thought, meh. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's kind of a confusing <laughs> title to talk about because 
I don't even know what you uh, female prisoner seven hundred one scorpion. I think is the name. Yeah, right? that's it. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like it doesn't, doesn't roll sound... off the tongue. No, it's like doesn't really sound like my cup of tea here. So I did not even I... look into it any further than that. Not not to be creepy, but Michael Kaji has just like an arresting presence on screen. Like she's a very beautiful woman, but she also just has like this commanding presence. Mm-hmm, and in does. this movie, she she plays almost like a she she becomes like more and more mythical as the series goes on and she talks less and less. So her role is very similar to like the man with no name kind of trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it, yeah, and I and it's weird because her career I guess it was about a decade. I mean, she's played in stuff now, but like when you talk about her, mm-hmm. it's mostly that that decade between the sixties and seventies where she yeah. just killed it. Nice. I'm gonna have yeah. to pick this yeah, up. Yeah, she was making like twelve films a year for for a while. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyways, so um, yeah, go watch that. That's a great movie. Um, and then I guess I'll just just to go reverse these here. Last time, number one for me. I would have put Wages of Fear from H.G. Clouseau in number one, but I've seen it before. I just happened to see it again recently. And that movie is, oh, my goodness. I could talk about that one for a whole other podcast. I won't, though. So what I did uh, is I put Diabolique because I also I saw that for the first time. Um, Diabolique was one that I was like moderately interested in. I think based on the cover art, I thought it would be OK. I wasn't quite sure how the story would go. Um, the two female lead performances in that are, are so strong. The plot takes, it, it continues to kind of twist all the way until the end. Uh, Cluzo is somebody that is right up there next to Hitchcock for me now as somebody who can build suspense better than anybody else. His movies are just, they grip you, like, or they gripped me completely. I was like just glued to the screen. So that's my number one of the year. Yeah, Diabolique is awesome. It's, it's, such, it's such a great film. I, I unfortunately went into it knowing the ending or at least knowing some knowing the main most important part of the ending that scene as it was ruined mm-hmm. for me by a by one of those TV shows that are like the 100 scariest moments and stuff uh, so one of those kind of TV shows was it was ruined on me for many years but I still I still enjoyed it and um, so if you managed to go in blind then I'm sure it must have blew your mind yeah exactly it did one i'm gonna rewatch actually i think it's on the channel i think i considered putting it on my list recently because i think so uh, yeah i think it's i think it's such a good movie i haven't seen it in a long time though yeah it's been a couple of years for me too but it's it's a really well-made film and cluso is a good director of course as well Uh, i think some people call it like you know the sort of one of the best hitchcock films hitchcock never made you know those those kind of (laughs) that that and charade by stanley donnan are normally the two the people sort of point to as like great Hitchcock oh. movies that Hitchcock never made. Poor Brian Schaum. He doesn't get put on the list. That's because he's too much of a simp. <laughs> he tries too two. hard to be Hitchcock. Yeah, the other two are just nice and casual about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what's your what's your number one then, Zach? Uh, my number one is, I-, I would say this is probably end up being the most surprising one I watched this year. And I actually bought it from Screen Factory on a whim. I think somebody in the group recommended to me. I, I want to say they did, but I'm, I can't swear to that, which is the, uh, oh God, Jacques, who did Cat People? Somebody say that last name. Jacques Tournier. Thank you, Tournier. Um, he did a movie called The Leopard Man, which is, it's a pretty basic story. 
um, a leopard escapes, um, people start dying, but it's not exactly what it seems. Um, it ended up being, in a lot of ways, a very early sort of slasher film in a lot of ways, or maybe even a shallow because of the whodunit element. And it, it's beautifully shot. You know, it really made me want to get into his work because I like cat people a lot, and I've wanted to watch. I walk with I walk with a zombie. I'm just uh, I'm, I'm finding out I'm really into him, and I need to find more of his stuff. But it's it's a fun little movie uh, that I didn't really expect too much from when I bought it. Is is Cats the sequel to a cat uh, Cat People? I believe it is. It's just okay. as creepy. <laughs> Yeah, I actually watched Leopard Man as well, uh, well, a couple of months ago, based on your recommendation. And I thought it was really great as well. It was really, really atmospheric. Um, has a, a really great scene in the, in the graveyard. Um, yes, yes, that's a great one. Yeah. yeah it's and cool. I like that they call it a leopard, even though it's not a leopard. It's like a Yeah, it's like a puma. It's like a or panther or a <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those. Have you, speaking of Tornado, I assume you've seen Night of the Demon. Yes, that's, I want to rewatch it, but that's, I also love that movie a lot. Yeah, indicator of a good release of it. If you're looking for a physical, uh, okay, copy, cool. I will indicator look at it actually pretty soon. Because yeah. I walk with a zombie doesn't have, I don't think, has a great release anywhere. Like I think there's some DVD releases, and that's about it. Yeah, I was looking into that one as well after because I'd seen Cat People, seen Night of the Demon, then I saw Leopard Man. I thought I'm gonna watch more of this guy's stuff. But yeah, I walked with a zombie. I couldn't really find anywhere that that had it or you know in a good quality or anything like that. So. Maybe, maybe a, a future Blu-ray for some boutique label. Um, my number one then is a film I watched for the first time from one of my favorite directors, Abbas Kiristami. Uh, it's called Certified Copy. Uh, it's pretty, uh, well, I don't want to say new. It's, it came out this century. So it's new, <laughs> new by standards of the other films we've been talking about. Um, really amazing film with uh, Juliette Binoche and a guy whose name I cannot remember because he's not actually an actor. He's an opera singer that just acted in this film. Uh, but it's an amazing film. Um, I remember I wrote in my review for it that it's kind of like a weird combination of the Before trilogy and Last Year in Marienbad from Alain René. Because uh, it's just, it's two people just sort of going around an Italian village, sort of, you know, talking, kind of like, you know, the Before trilogy, the way they just sort of walk and talk. Um, one of those kind of movies but it just has this really strange existential twist where they start off strangers and then suddenly they start talking as if they've been married for years. And they talk about having, you know, saying, you know, that he doesn't take care of their son. Right. And it just, but like, there's no, (laughs) there's no hint as to what's actually happening, whether they are actually a couple, whether they're both gone insane or whether this is all kind of in their heads or whatever. It's just, it's a really beguiling film. Beguiling is the only sort of way I could describe this film. Um, it's so strange, but it's so engaging. Um, if you like the Before trilogy and you want to maybe a bit of a twist on the, the genre of the walk and talk romantic-y kind of film, uh, Certified Copy is, is incredible. Um, and obviously Kiristami is incredible. So I'll, I'll only... I will always take opportunities to big up Kiristami um, because I still feel outside of art film circles, at least anyway, he's, he's still pretty sort of underrated. And so, yeah, certified copy. If you guys get to watch it, watch it. If you're listening on the podcast and you've never seen it or, you know, want to watch it, definitely get on it because it's, it's incredible. He's finished, right? 
No, you're thinking of Aki Kiramaki or Karazmaki or something. Abbas Kiristami oh, is Iranian. Iranian guy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's very, it's very easy to confuse. They have very similar names. So, uh, completely yeah, understandable. Yeah, yeah Abbas Kiristami, he was Iranian. Oh, Taste of Cherry and all that. Yeah, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, Taste of cool. Cherry, Close Up, uh, Coker Trilogy, that guy. Love, love we him. saw close-up for the film club, right? We did, yeah. We saw close-up for the film club. It's a sort of faux yeah, documentary. It was amazing. Incredibly interesting director. You know, he just he was always so meta and always went to go against the grain. Um, like he's like he'd be like my probably like my third favorite director after Bergman and Hitchcock. Um, so I always get I'll always take an opportunity to big him up, um, because I still feel like a lot of his stuff is kind of underseen. cool so that's our our top fives then so this next segment we're just going to talk briefly about our favorite like 2021 film so not the bet our favorite film that we've sort of seen in 2021 but the actual like a 2021 release because we don't really talk about new films a lot on this podcast we end up talking about stuffy old french films from the 60s a lot of the time so uh-huh. let's talk about something new does anyone want to jump on this one first for their favorite 2021 first? release? I've only seen two this year. So can I go first? Because it's going to be very Absolutely. short. <laughs> so I've seen uh, Bo Burnham's Inside and Shang-Chi. Okay. Uh, you saw Dune, didn't you? Yeah, you saw Dune, I thought, as well. Oh, I did see Dune. For some reason, that didn't pop up on my letterbox when I was going back. I wonder why. Maybe I didn't uh, register it correctly. Okay, so that does change what I was going to say a little bit. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I really like Shang-Chi. I probably would choose Bo Burnham's Inside over it just because it's such a unique film and like such a great time capsule of the pandemic. Um, ooh, Dune does change this, though. Oh, that's tough. I know. Adam, I think you, I know will make, you will make a lot of people angry if you choose a Marvel movie over Dune. Just so, just just be aware of any potential backlash. I back you. I think. Except for Adam, Adam will agree with you. Oh yeah, I fully that. back you on your decision if you choose Shang Chi over Doom. But I'm just saying, a lot of other people won't back you. So. No, I I enjoyed Shang Chi, especially like the wuxia parts. But I didn't like the the villain, and I didn't really like the ending a lot. That one falls a little bit for me just because of the. Who do you not like, Tony Lung? Wait, what? It, Tony Lung is the villain. Oh no, he's fine. I mean the like the dragon, like the the the, the oh, beast. Oh, like... sorry. Yes, 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 yes. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. No, Tony Long's great, uh, but he's like a conflicted villain. He's not like the big evil beast they have. To yeah, yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um. Uh. But um. Yeah. Dune. Dune for me is the best movie of 2021. That's. I have to go over Bro Burnham's Insight. Then. Yeah. Dune for me is the winner. Thank you for your resignation um, of this podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we are a staunch anti-Dune podcast here at the Live by Film. <laughs> yeah, I get to stay. Well, what about what about you? What, about what was your favorite twenty twenty one? Um, you've probably well, seen the with... most new films out of all three of us, anyway. So yeah, I just hit fifty, I believe. Um, oh, okay. Fifty for twenty twenty one um funny enough i haven't seen two of chris's three so um but if i went with the one i have seen the most 
it would have been Halloween Kills. It's not my favorite, but I did see that movie five times. Um, probably biased. I have a Halloween tattoo, so you know that's that's gonna happen every time. Even you know, I would probably have went to see the Rob Zombie remake five times in theaters. To be fair, and I just bitched the entire time. But one that really stood out for me, I, I had a few um, that I thought was gonna go over, but every time I like did the re ranking, it would always end up back in mind. At one time, I thought it was going to be. Um, Last Night in Soho, which was number one for a little bit. But then when I did my re-ranking, I've got to go with Pig. Um, it, it's such, it, it's so simple. It's, it, it's a lot more emotional than I expected. And it's, it's existential. And I, I guess that's, that's something that, you know, probably doesn't come from me a whole lot. But, you know, if somebody's going to sell me on like an existential film about being a, you know, a chef looking for a pig, it's going to be Nick Cage. And he does such a fantastic <laughs> job. Um, you know, it's, yeah, he's been kind of going through this whole renaissance thing for a while. He's had three movies this year, and this is by far the best one he's done. Um, and it just kind of sums up his career in general, you know. And, you know, he, he'll play anything. He'll do it well, but give him the right role, and he'll kill it every time. And that was Pig. Do you, do you think he's our generation's Christopher Lee? I think in a sense, yeah. Because, I mean, you know, one thing that I get – you know, annoyed by. And I, I think people, I think a lot of people think my love for Nicolas Cage is very ironic and it's, it's not, I, I love him as an actor in general. I, I think one thing he does so well is I think we have an obsession, especially in modern acting of naturalistic acting. We need to be as true to life as we can be. And he doesn't yeah. believe that he's made it very obvious. He doesn't believe that's true. He thinks performance is an art. And I wish more actors would do that. Like, I, I think he is, you know, he's a guy who will play in some terrible stuff and he doesn't care, but he gives it his all every time. I've never seen him sleepwalk through a performance. Yeah. And I'm glad to see that. I think people are getting a lot more positive on him. I mean, I actually saw people excited. He was going to play Dracula and I'm excited yeah. for that. You know, um, I that's think news all... to me. He's playing Dracula. Yeah. They're doing a um, Renfield movie and he's going to be playing Dracula. Oh, oh, I had heard about the Renfield movie. I just didn't hear about any of the sort of additional casting, but I had heard about the Renfield movie, yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's perfect for that. I, I really do. I think he has the right type of energy. I, I want to shuck your blood. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if he redoes Vampire's Kiss with it, I'll be so excited. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Cage, before we move past them um i had only heard of this film as i saw the trailer the other day i assume you guys are probably aware of the nicholas cage film that's coming out where he plays himself yes the right. unbearable weight of massive talent that uh, <laughs> i saw i saw the trailer for it the other day and i was like i was laughing my, i just thought that was the most ridiculous cagey thing ever it looks it looks awesome like i, I will definitely be watching that film it, it looks really yeah. good yeah, and I, I, I'm I, I'm both excited and a little worried about it just because he's kind of, at least to a degree, gotten himself out of the meme status to a degree where people actually just like him. And yeah. I'm like, God, I hope that doesn't like throw him back into like Wicker Man 2006 <laughs> territory. <laughs> yeah, I think like it just, it seems kind of like one of those renaissance kind of films, you know, mm -hmm. where if he puts in a good performance and the film is solid, then I think it will just, project him even higher yeah i think it does have the potential for that for sure yeah that self-awareness he kind yeah. of did it 
or somebody else's script with adaptation, right? So this is better that he's making like a, a being John Malkovich type movie now uh, for, for Nick Cage. Well, what was funny is I, I, I listened to an interview where that's what he um, said why he took the role is because he likes being John Malkovich. He's really into that movie, so. Cool. Uh, so my, my favorite of 2021, uh, well, the most fun I had watching a 2021 film was the new Spider-Man movie, but, you know, it's been talked about to death, so I'm not going to harp on about it, but I had a lot of fun watching it. Spider-Man is my favorite sort of pop culture character ever because I've just been into him since I was a kid. So any new Spider-Man movie, I'm going to be really hyped up about. Um, but the best film I saw this year was one I alluded to in the last podcast and it's probably the film I least expected to like this year. And that's Spencer, um, oh, yeah. which I know you've seen since Zach and, and you yes, liked it as well. I but, did. I liked it a lot. Uh, as I talked about, I think it was on the last episode or maybe the episode before, like I talked about how I went into this film with zero expectations. I had no interest in watching it. My fiance put it on the TV and I was only kind of half watching it for the first 15, 20 minutes. And it just completely, completely threw me for a loop utterly engrossed me could not look away it's so incredibly well made i said it in our discord i think but you know it is as close to the shining as any biopic about a royal family member is ever going to get um it's just it's so atmospheric it's so uh it's eerie it's creepy it gets under your skin um and it's yeah it's it's just a nightmare but it's it's an amazing amazing film uh how anyone who's a fan of kubrick you know should just watch this movie because it's just awesome and yeah i gotta give a lot of praise and i mean she's gotten more praise her and robert pattinson have it kristen stewart did so good in that like there's just like i i know a lot of it's the makeup and stuff but it was that weird in between where it's like i both recognize her and i don't like the way they her face looked and everything else. I just, you know, I thought she did a great job. Yeah, and I remember she got like a lot of stick when she was cast in the role, and my fiance was the same because she doesn't look anything like Diana. She's obviously way too young to be playing Diana at this part of Diana's life. And it absolutely makes perfect sense now to seeing the film, mm-hmm. you know, because it's not really about, it's not like a proper biopic about you know diana you know it's not like a proper uh, biopic or anything like that so now it makes sense why they would task based on talent or talent rather than looks because yeah she she absolutely fucking killed it um and it all makes sense no she's american yeah she worked like six months on that accent apparently and i think she pulled it off i mean better than most americans pull off a british accent for sure any uh, any any idea if Renee Zellweger's accent was good in the Bridget Jones series? <laughs> that is that is honestly really critically acclaimed her British accent okay. to the point good. where I thought Renee Zellweger was British for most of my life. Oh, good for her. So that's honestly like her accent is like one of like when people talk about Americans doing British accents and like the best ones, she's always like up really high. Um, she, yeah, she, I, I, like I said, I thought she was British for like most of my life. One that's always confused me, and I won't get us too off topic here. Guy Ritchie has always praised Robert Downey Jr.'s British accent. And I don't think it's like offensively bad or anything, but I'm not British. So it's just like what I hear, but it's just like, I, I don't think it's like incredibly impressive. I haven't seen any of those Sherlock movies, so I can't say for sure. Yeah. 
I mean, it well, always still came off as an accent, like not like offensively or stereotypical, but I was like, yeah, it's still someone putting on an accent. One person well, was impressed. Have... Sorry, go ahead, Chris. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was going to say we have so many examples of Robert Downey Jr. not speaking about that. I feel like it just feels strange to hear him like with that. It, it feels like an accent, right? Mm-hmm. That could be part of it as well. One, one person who's impressed me recently, just because of when I learned of where he was from, was uh, Charlie Cox. Because, um, like, I've obviously I saw him in the Daredevil series on Netflix. And, you know, I just assumed he was American because, you know, why, why would I assume otherwise? He's playing an American character. I don't know anything about him. Why would I assume he's not American? And then over the summer, there was a series that aired in Ireland called Kin. Uh, it was like a crime crime drama um starred aiden gillen you know from game of thrones um you'd recognize it the same if you're a game of thrones fan you'll know aiden gillen there's this character anyway uh, you know irish talking normal dublin accent and i thought geez louise this guy looks exactly like charlie cox and then the credits came on and it was fucking charlie cox and i'm like i was like first off why is he in this irish low like this low budget irish drama first off i was like okay well that's just weird in the first place and i'm like shit his accent is so good. Maybe he's actually Irish. And I looked it up and I'm like, this dude's fucking English. <laughs> I thought he was American. And then I thought he was Irish. And it turns out he's fucking English. Um, but yeah, he's really good at accents. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen a lot of his stuff now. To, like, to be fair, I'm not a super big Charlie Cox fan, but he just, it, this year alone, he kind of threw me for a loop because uh, I thought he was American. Then I thought he was Irish and then it turned out he was English the whole time. You know, it's, I think when you're doing those low, like not low rent, but you know, when you're doing this, like obviously something like that's not going to be something that's going to be seen as worldwide or anything. I feel like you have to do better because your target audience is going to notice it. And oh, especially you know, in Ireland, you know, if you do a shit Irish accent, you will know about it. Especially, I guess, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like that's a lot because you guys are similar to Southern accents. Why they bother me is because they're so stereotyped. Yeah, for sure. So you're like, fuck exactly. you, dude. <laughs> That's like, like if you came on going, oh, Twiddly D, my name, hop the morning to you. You know, if it was one of those, like, we'll just tear you to shreds. It's like fucking, you know that film, P.S. I Love You? Yeah. Um, And that dude, what's his fucking name? Gart? Uh, <laughs> what's his name? From... Ah, shit. P.S. I Love from, You. Yeah, the guy from 300. What's his name again? Oh, Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler, his Irish accent is so shit in that film. Me and uh, my girlfriend have a theory about Gerard Butler. If he does not give a shit about the movie, his accent will switch three different times, at least. <laughs> yeah, that's probably what happens in PS. Because if you watch like Geostorm, he goes from Scottish, he's American. I think he does an English accent at some point. I was like, he does not care. He's like, I will put out anything. Uh, Adam, he's actually Irish by birth. What? He's Scottish. Is? Yeah, but he grew up in Scotland, Scottish. right? Yeah, I've always taught him. Maybe he was oh, born here. Wait. But... His family is of Irish origin. Oh, yeah. With a surname of Butler, he's definitely of Irish descent. There's no doubt about that anyway. Yeah, no, he was born in Scotland. He... Right? Just because we don't have a lot of opportunities to talk about Americans doing uh, accents... What did you think about Brad Pitt in Snatch? Oh, that's uh, that. yeah. It's it, it's an interesting accent because he's playing like an Irish traveler, and they have a very distinctive accent a lot of the time. Um, okay. 
I have no problems with it. It's a lot better than the one in that IRA film he did, uh, which I can't remember the name of. Uh, it's kind of memed in Ireland, to be honest with you, the whole, do you like dags? That's kind of like a <laughs> meme in Ireland. Um, yeah, it's fine. I think because it's kind of like a, it's an accent of a sort of very specific cultural or very specific, um, what's the word? Um, very specific group of people in Ireland, you know, we, we kind of forgive it a bit. He's not like playing just like a regular Joe kind of character. That makes sense. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly. You know, one that's, and I, you know, we can move on after this, but we were t- kind of reminded me, we were talking about like people doing accents they should be good at with Gerard Butler. One that frustrates the hell out of me is Sandra Bullock in The Blonde Side. She's from Virginia. That accent is awful. It sounds nothing. <laughs> I was like, I am from the same state. That sounds nothing correct. <laughs> I was like, and you're from the same state. Jesus. I ha- that's why I hate that movie. I despise The Blind Side for lots of reasons. Is that the one about the American footballer or something? Yeah, about yeah. Michael Orr. Okay. Who played for the Ravens. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's a white savior story. Take it for what you will. Yeah. <laughs> like Dune. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like Dune. <laughs> but all right, I guess we should. Go ahead. What's that? Oh, Sandra Bullock would have been great as the as the lead role in Dune. Yeah, I, I, I mean, she'd have more personality. That's true. <laughs> anyway, this isn't the shit on Dune podcast. Um, <laughs> so speaking of the podcast, we'll move on to just talk about our favorite and our least favorite of all the films we talked about just this year. Twenty twenty films do not count, so I cannot talk about Revengeance, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, just ones we talked about in 2021. Uh, I'll, I'll hop on it first if you're cool with that. Um, so my favorite, which I'm just going to briefly touch on because it was a rewatch and it's like my second favorite film of all time, Night of the Hunter. Um, I think in terms of like films that we've watched in the film club, I think it's like objectively the best you know, even if it might not be your favorite, it's probably objectively the best film that we've watched as part of the film club. Um, so I'm just, yeah, Night of the Hunter, like in terms of like my favorite film that we've watched, Night of the Hunter, definitely. But because I don't want to really include rewatches in this, I'm going to link back to, to Gia Zhangki and mention Zhao Wu. Uh, I, rank, I have it ranked number five currently on my favorite film club films. And I'm talking about it now because three of the top five are rewatches and one of them we watched it in 2020 and didn't talk about it on the podcast so this is one that we've talked about on the podcast uh, so Xiao Wu I, I loved this when we watched it it was so naturalistic it had that beautiful sort of 16 millimeter film grain feel um, it had a sort of neo-realist kind of vibe to it uh, sort of mixed with that kind of Wong Kar Wai me, obsession with media idea as well um so it just it just hit all the right beats for me um i was engrossed by it thought the main character was was really interesting it was a great character study you know to sort of follow this kind of complex but stupid character he's kind of like stupidly complex or complexly yeah. stupid um yeah Zhao Wu, that, that's definitely my favorite one that we that we watched or talked about on the film club and my least favorite, kind of by default, because I can't talk about Revengeance. So I literally <laughs> just went on what I had ranked second last. And that was, that's Fantastic Planet. And I feel like mm. I'm super harsh on Fantastic Planet. 
but the animation is is super interesting i just don't give a shit about the film at all you know yeah like i i even have it ranked below images because like at least with images i can kind of like find and pick apart reasons why i hate it whereas fantastic planet is just i just don't like it i don't care about it i just i could never watch it again and i'll never be affected by that decision um so yeah fantastic planet i just didn't really give a shit about let's see uh your best was which one again make sure i remember so i'll say jawu because night of hunter like i said it's a real watch so uh so jawu will be my i'll put that down as my favorite i'll uh i'll i'll take it next um so uh, for my I decided not to do anything I've already rewatched, which wasn't a lot, but I didn't put any rewatches. And part of what helped me choose, like, it's not necessarily what I've ranked, but it's the ones where I also thought we had, like, the best discussion on. I think that made a huge difference for me. Um, So my favorite was uh, Woman in the Dunes. Mm -hmm. Um, One I I really didn't have a lot of expectations going into, and that's kind of a theme with me. If I don't expect much and I end up liking it, I usually tend to like it a little bit more than I probably normally would. But I just think it's a yeah. it's a really interesting movie. It's it has its light moments. It gets really dark and bleak when you know towards the end. And I just think it's I don't know if there's anything quite like it. Uh, apparently, one of the movies I got recently from Criterion is, but we'll see. I haven't watched it yet. Um, but I, I just I, which one? Uh, let me see. I can't say any of the names. Um, I just I'm just curious to see if I've seen it. I think <laughs> I you're the one we, we, we may have just talked about where it was. You said it may, it was one of these. It was either oh or this yeah. one. Ani Baba, Ani Baba is great. Well, they're both great. Kurt Echo and Ani Baba are both great. But yeah, Ani Baba kind of has a kind of vibe like that because yeah. it's sort of set in rural Japan and just sort of that idea that you're sort of like they're not sort of trapped in a pit, but there's that kind of overbearing feeling of um of claustrophobia because the whole film is set in amongst these really high grass reeds um yeah on, uh, yeah on, on Baba kind of has that vibe yeah i blind both i blind bought both of those and i think that may have they're both great one. you'll like yeah. both of them you will you will like both of those films they're but they're both they're very different uh Kuroneko is definitely more of like a classic ghost story um but i, I think you'll like both of them yeah I'm, I'm gonna try to get around to those soon but I, I, you know, it, it's also one of those movies that's kind of inexplicable to me because I'm not really sure if it's my normal type of thing with uh, Woman in the Dunes, but I just ended up really liking it a lot. I need to buy the Criterion Edition. Um, and on the other end, this will be very short and for a good reason. So the one I put last <laughs> is one, and I think the worst thing you can be as a movie is boring. And we it hasn't even been that long since we watched it, but I remember nothing about it. And that is to be or not to be. I remember oh, shit. That is a hot take. from that movie. I, can't, I, I sat there and I read the synopsis. Like, I've watched it, but I don't remember it. I don't remember our discussion or anything <laughs> about it. And I'm just like, it's got to be last because it, it made no impression on me. And it hasn't even oh, been man. that long. I, I was full on ready for you to say fat girl. Uh, that is a... <laughs> I didn't know. If, actually, I don't think I chose that one because I couldn't decide if it was this year or not. See, I just I literally went back and looked at the like, dates our podcast came out to try and find the cutoff point. Uh, Fat Girl was definitely this year. Was it? Because I know it was like episode six. And I was like, I don't know how many episodes we got to last year. So I was like, I'm not going to put that one. 
and I went through the, I was like and I went through the rest and I was like I don't I barely remember this movie and it's only been what like two months since we've watched it and that's like that's like one of Chris's favorite movies I know <laughs> too. I was like it, it did not I couldn't remember the movie I was that's like I guess shit hot take one. wow that's nice I'm glad, I'm glad we got a hot take here because normally we're like we're kind of talking about stuff we've already talked about but in terms of films we don't like so yeah that's a that's a fucking hot take right there of, of all the things to say about to not to be the 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 fact that you found it boring makes me so sad <laughs> <laughs> we I, should also highlight like, I remember, though that, that i remember you know, one scene and it's hitler and poland at the beginning yeah that's all i remember i, I can't i can't think of another scene in the movie I feel at this point it's important to offer the disclaimer that Zach generally does not like comedy anyway. So yeah, that's true. That might be. <laughs> no, it's so true. Um, well, let me change my favorite movie that we've discussed really quick. <laughs> um, no, just like you, Adam, I had to be or not to be is my favorite, but I'm not going to talk. I'd seen it. I don't know, ten times before, so I, I'm not going to. Um, to you know, I. I think at the end of the day, was Panic this year or last year? It was this year. Yeah, it would have yeah. been this year. I, I'm going to go with Panic because I remember watching it and I just don't know visually if I've ever seen anything quite like that. It's like this, it's just, I, I love it. I think I, I described it at the time as like, it seems like they just built miniatures, but really big. Like it has a feeling that everything was built as like a miniature, but just on a large scale. And the the whole town is just like like has this uncanny valley kind of feel to it, to it's where it's like close to reality but not quite reality. I loved it. Um, and the story is relatively simple, but I just think it's such a fun movie to talk about. And it's one that like, as the world opens back up and I have real friends again, I'm going to try to show people uh, that that movie more just to get just to show like how much creativity is in film i just love talking about them yeah I that was the set one design. That yeah. oh sorry sorry adam you go ahead yeah i was just going to mention the set design i think the only other film i can kind of put close to it in that kind of vibe is the apartment complex and rear window and mm, uh, kind of gives off the same feeling uh, yeah that's kind of a middle of the road film for me it was good i liked it but i don't rave about it but maybe i just need to rewatch it it's one for me that I remember liking it when we watched it, and it's weirdly stuck with me. Like, it's not one I expected to stick with me, but every once in a while, like, a part of it I'll be remembered of, especially towards the end of the movie, I remember liking a lot. It's one I'll probably need to revisit at some point, because it's, it, I didn't think a whole lot of it at the time, but it's, you know, it's made some sort of impression. Flickr Alley put out a uh, Duvivier box set just now that came out in December. And uh, there's like 12 of his early movies. So I just, I, it kind of got me on this rabbit hole for Duvivier. Um, he was he was instrumental in getting the Cinémathèque Française off the ground, which is a big thing for kind of restoration. And, and you know, it's a big archive in France. I just, he's just an interesting guy. And, and I think this is a, is a cool film. So um, I'm trying to think of the, the other film I've seen by him. Because I saw another film from him before I saw Panique. Yeah. I was just um, thinking about that. There's one that's more well-known. Hold on. I'll, yeah, hold it's up. the one that had the guy from uh, the, the Grand Illusion in it, whose name I've completely blanked on. Um, um, uh, um, can they give me an English title so I can pronounce it? <laughs> uh, hold on a second. Um, Carnet de Ball? Maybe? No. 
There's another one that people always talk about. Um, there was a few. Pepe, Pepe Lamoco. Pepe Lamoco. There it is. Yep. That's Pepe it. Lamoco. That's the one. They always talk about it in French New Wave films, especially in Goddard films. They always talk about going to see Pepe Lamoco or trying to yeah. act like Pepe Lamoco. Yeah, it's your man, John, John Gabin was the guy who was yeah, there you go. from the Grand Illusion. Yeah, that's a good um, film. Uh, if you get to see that one, I recommend it. It was, it was definitely on the channel because I can't think of any other way I would have seen it. Whether it's still on the channel now, I'm not sure, but uh, I recommend that. That was, that was fun. Yeah, as soon as you talk about Panic, people are like, oh, you've seen Pepe Lamoco, right? Like, it's one of those ones that everyone kind of, I think it's their, more of their intro to Duvivier somehow. But um, my least favorite, I, I kind of went back and forth on this. I landed on Palm Beach Story just because, like, fuck those guys. I don't care about, like, they're all a bunch of assholes. And, like, I didn't care about this, the romance story. And they're all, like, mean-spirited and, yeah, whatever. I didn't care for it. Yeah, I didn't care for that one either. I just, I just thought it was boring, and the ending is kind of stupid. So, <laughs> I was, I'm still a little mad that I went to go. I, I think I was getting dinner out or something during the opening credits, and that's why I was completely blindsided by the end of that movie because it made no sense. <laughs> I was like, I didn't think I had to watch this part. I could go get dinner while it was going on. Yeah. I was, I was watching the opening credits, and I still didn't get it. I, you know. <laughs> Adam pointed it. It's kind of the way it's done. It's just more confusing than anything else because you're just sort of like, wait, why are these same people like in and out of wedding clothes the whole time? This is weird. Yeah. And the movie sucks. Yeah, Palm Beach Story. I think it's just one of those ones that was just. It had a lot of potential, and it just I don't know. It just. I remember some really of the jokes landing pretty decently. It just didn't like. You just, I can't even remember a single gag from the whole film. I can't Isn't remember that, one now. I, I wish it's sad because I can still remember duck uh, duck soup better, and I didn't particularly like that one. Yeah, I think yeah. I may be feeling about Palm Beach Story the way you felt about to be or not to be, Zach. Where I just remember very little of, like pretty much every, like the only thing I really remember is the stuff that went on the train. But every time I think of that, I just think of how much better some like it hot did the train stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, similar the guys. Painting. So yeah bunch so. of rich apples but the um the the best part of palm beach story is probably the wiener man right i forgot about oh yeah i Jesus, forgot about I don't him. Even, yeah i don't even yeah, I remember I don't even remember who that is the wiener man he's like that old guy that like got wealthy off of selling wieners or oh whatever. yeah yeah yes 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 the the, the old tycoon <laughs> yeah yeah i do remember him now um yeah, anyways, that's I think that's that's it for you you've introduced all the segments. You want to go on to the next one? I have this is a fun one for me. <laughs> yeah, well it's the last one we're gonna talk about. Um it wouldn't be an episode of the Live by Film if we didn't talk about the shit we spend our money on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's gonna go to our favorite sort of boutique release or releases, probably <laughs> for most of us. We're probably gonna talk about a few. Um, well, look, Chris, you, you go first for this one. Uh, collection Corner has always been your baby, so it'd be only fair for you to go first. Okay, I have 120 to talk about. Okay, no, uh, buckle up. Let me make a call. <laughs> I, I got to cancel everything real quick. <laughs> uh, this is so the, the cool thing. The, I'm just going to say this, and I'm joking. I only have two to talk about. This year for me has been so exciting as a collector because. It's I'm I'm feeling like the mid 2000s again, where like every time you turn around, there's this beautiful box set coming out, and like genre films are getting beautiful releases. But now the studios are feeling like they have to compete 
So like the Godfather 4K is probably going to be beautiful when it comes out. Um, like I, I, it just feels like people are kind of getting back into physical media. Um, the streaming sites are all getting kind of weird with licensing, which everybody said was going to happen and it is happening now. So I think people are feeling like streaming is not quite as reliable as, as it was promised. So I think there's going to be an uptick in the physical media, uh, probably never to the level it was at, but I don't think people are giving up on it. And that makes me very excited. Um, Zach, I have to tell you, because I know sometimes you buy imports. Have you, do you know about Orbit DVD? What's it called? Orbit, O-R-B-I-T. You Orbit did DVD. message me about that. I, is it like Diabolic or is it different? Uh, kind of. So it's a physical video store. So it's more like Grindhouse, I guess, than anything. Okay. They, uh, they have a whole import section and their website is updated in real time. And it's just an easier buying experience for Region B. They have everything that you kind of like want from Region B. And they have this thing that says, email me when available. And I did it for the Mulholland Drive set. And I got the email and I went and I bought it a, a copy for myself as well. And it's like, it was flawless. So it's a great um, website. And there, I think in 2022, people, you're going to hear a lot more about them for, especially for import stuff, because they take care of all the shipping for you. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and uh, I, this this will definitely be helpful. Um, so my favorite pickups, I have to mention Shaw Brothers because I bought that day one back in August, and I finally got it um, from Arrow. Uh, I haven't gone through the set yet. I mean, I opened it up and flipped through it, but I'm going to be watching those movies next year. Um, Shaw Brothers, I, I, I was actually going to try to get a theme song to introduce my pick. I forgot. <laughs> Um, that theme song is just ingrained in my head. I love those movies and I love that they're getting the good treatment from Arrow and 88 films and maybe even 101 is doing some of them, but there's just Shaw Brothers is getting some good attention, which makes me really happy. And then the only other one I have to mention is because I cannot believe it got the treatment it did was Ricky O. Um, so Ricky O, story of Ricky is probably my, my, my single individual choice and then Shaw Brothers is box set. The, I need to pick up the Ricky O one because I haven't seen that movie in quite a while. And I'm surprised how many people in our um, little discord chat have not seen it. I, I, I'm not. <laughs> like, like, I guess it's like, where me and you were more in the genre stuff. That's like one, like when you get really get into the genre stuff, you're like, yeah, I got to watch Ricky O. And you just, yeah, kind of early on, but. Well, yeah. watch out for next year too. Cause now the Ebola syndrome came out. And so I think next year I'm going to predict is going to be the year of Cat 3 films. I think everybody's going to be talking about Cat 3 because Riccio and Ebola Syndrome now have releases. And I think there's going to be a flood of Cat 3 stuff coming out uh, next year. So that's my prediction for next year. And good luck to the friends of our podcast, Error 4444, because they're probably going to be doing quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. What about you, Zach? What, what are your favorite pickups? Well, Adam got to show his off. So I need to show off what Chris did for me because this is a fantastic Arrow set for uh, Female Prisoner, Scorpion, the complete collection. It, it's Arrow. Everything they do, you know, especially their limited edition stuff, is absolutely so well done. It, it has great cover art on it, because I think the one, they did the special edition one. This is the limited edition, where it has, I think, this cover on it, which is for uh, Jailhouse yeah, the current, one. The current edition has that cover, yeah. Yeah, and I, I just, I think it, it's really great looking. I, I love, I don't know, 
I think more purple needs to be used because it sticks out really well on the shelf. Uh, the other one I will highlight a bit. I actually just got it fairly recently. It's uh, Second Sight's The Guest. Um, this is the second thing from Second Sight. This is actually the first time I've ever got to order from their website because Dawn of the Dead was blocked by uh, the guy who owns the Rice Hall Romero stuff in the U.S. So you couldn't even buy Dawn of the Dead from Second Sight directly. I had to buy it from Savi. But this is first ordered from him, and he just does such great work. Like, it's it's gorgeous how much work he puts into these things. Um, fantastic movie to boot. This is in 4K, finally. So, um, really appreciate, like, everything has, is designed well and feels well put together. Like, it's not going to fall apart on me. Um, but those would probably be my two for the year. Yeah, second side are awesome. The, the work that, that he puts in. Like I, I have a couple of releases and like the walkabout one is insane. The amount of sort of like the fact that it includes the original novella that's based on it includes the script. You know, it's it's a really amazing set. Um, hopefully he'll become a friend of our podcast next year. We'll, we'll try and that's try the hope. And, I'd love uh, to talk to him because he yeah, I mean yeah. it's Chris, you know, he's it, just one guy, isn't it? Like really. Yeah, yeah. that's that's what when we spoke to uh to James White from Arrow earlier mm-hmm. in the year, he had mentioned yeah. that it's just one dude behind second sight, which is incredible in itself, you know, that he can put together such like some of the most complete limited edition sets available on the market. Yeah. It's almost like there's this idea that you should only have to buy this one more time. <laughs> like I shouldn't have to worry about ever buying the guest again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, that's, <laughs> I hope I never it's, do. it's as good as it could ever really be in terms of a complete set. Um, I'll probably pick up, um, obviously they announced the, uh, he's gonna be doing drive i'll probably pick that up even though i so I've I kind of it again <laughs> yeah you know i've just you know I, I like i don't love drive as much as i did when i was 18 but um you know it's it's one of those i'm sure the set is gonna be really really good looking so yeah. well i'm in a now, i'm in a steelbook discord where and i swear to god every other month drive has a new release i'm like how many times <laughs> are you guys gonna buy this movie i wouldn't want that was enough yeah <laughs> Uh, for me, then, I'm just going to highlight two. So one that came out this year and then one that I bought this year that, you know, did, you know, came out previously. So the one that actually came out this year is the limited edition version of Johnny Guitar from Eureka. I'm just going to yeah. big up my big up my region B bros at Eureka <laughs> who are I, I, I adore Eureka. Um, they're they're an incredible company. They put out some really, really great stuff. They're kind of going a little bit more genre in the last six months or so, I've noticed. They're putting out a lot of kung fu movies and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting because obviously they've mainly sort of been known as, a, you know, kind of like the Region B's answer to Criterion before Criterion started releasing Region B stuff. Um, but yeah, big up to, to Eureka. They put out an incredible set of Johnny Guitar, beautiful yellow artwork. It's as bold as the colors in the film itself. Um, really nice sort of really thick you know cardboard box you know not like the sort of criterion slips which can be a little bit flimsy it's like proper sort of thick never need to worry about this tearing or anything like that uh, has some nice little sort of um, O cards art cards a nice essay that comes with it and then the film itself just looks absolutely stunning in its restoration Johnny Guitar has been a film I've wanted to watch for years and years and years ever since I got into Goddard I've wanted to watch Johnny Guitar because kind of like Pepe Lamoco, they talk about Johnny Guitar a lot in Goddard films. Um, and he himself has said that, you know, 
cinema is Nicholas Ray. So I've always kind of been interested in Nicholas Ray. Uh, but yeah, Johnny Guitar, that pickup from Eureka, I really recommend that. I don't know if the limited edition is still available, but knowing Eureka, they always put out a standard edition kind of about six months later. So if you don't get the limited, I'm sure the standard will be just as cool. And then the set that didn't come out this year that I got this year is my holy grail of boutique releases. And that is the Ingmar Bergman cinema set from Criterion, which Ooh. just blew, blew my mind, exceeded all expectations. It's just this, <laughs> it's just it's this huge fucking, mon- <laughs> it is like a suitcase. <laughs> I didn't know it was yeah. going to be that big. Um, but it's just insane. Even even just the book that comes with it is just nuts. Full of really insightful essays, beautifully printed. You know, the set itself is set out like a big, like a big Bible almost. To sort of put it in Bergman terms, with its sort of religious yeah. themes, it is essentially like a Bible. The way it's sort of you know each disc is sort of put out on each page. Um, so yeah, that was that's been my holy grail for a few years. I've been desperate for that set, and, and I got it earlier this year. And yeah, it's it's absolutely it's 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 incredible. I would I would be pushed to say it is the best boutique Blu-ray release in general. It's just the peak of boutique boutique releasing. I need to watch more Bergman stuff so I can justify myself to get it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're all like all the ones that are in the set are on the channel on in their restorations that are in the sets. So I guess what I did, I just watched a ton of shit on the channel. And then once I knew that I loved it, I was like, I have to buy this, you know, because right now I'm at wild strawberries, which we watched on for here. Um, Virgin spraying an hour of the wolf. Yeah. And you know, they're really not bad starting places. If I were you, I would go with through a glass darkly next. Okay, that's, that's the one I, would I know a lot of next. people say Seventh Seal. I haven't watched it yet, and I know BFI is about to put out a 4K. Yeah, it's out already, actually. Uh, Seventh Seal is really good. It's it's kind of different. Um, it's, well, it's well, I say that it's closer to the Virgin Spring than any of his other films. I feel like Seventh Seal you can kind of watch anytime. It was actually my my first Bergman, um, but I feel like Seventh Seal because it's kind of different in terms of. You know, it, it takes place in the past and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you can kind of watch that anytime. So Seven Seal is good. Whether you watch it now or watch it later, I don't think it matters. Um, but I think Through a Glass Darkly is a kind of good film to watch early because it kind of encapsulates a lot of his themes. Um, it's sort of start of his chamber piece era that he called, you know, just kind of, Films that could be plays, but they're films, you know, that kind of era that he yeah. got into in the 60s and stuff. Um, it's weird, but not like as weird as Persona, not even as weird as Hour of the Wolf or anything like that, but it's weird. And it kind of has that really great atmosphere. So I, I think Through a Glass Darkly would be a nice sort of further step. But if you were to watch The Seventh Seal in between, it, it wouldn't hinder your, your viewing. Okay, uh, yeah. Him. There, he's just got so many films, and I'm like, I don't yeah. know where to go. He he also I noticed seems to do a lot of jo- different genres, so I'm like, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. <laughs> yeah, uh, he does. I think his comedies are sort of less less beloved. Um, now, saying that, I haven't seen Sawdust and Tinsel, which I think out of all his kind of more comedic films, that's definitely the most revered, and I haven't mm-hmm. seen that one. But like, I think he just has a distinct style 
that regardless of what he's kind of working in or what setting he's working in, you can just tell it's a Bergman film, even from the black and white titles. Once they come up, the black and white titles is the same font every time. You just kind of know what you're watching. Do you, okay. Zach, did you, did you see, uh, have you seen a lot of Woody Allen movies? I was just about to say, it's like yeah. a Woody Allen. You know, it's, it's really like Woody Allen. You just, you know, yeah. you're watching a Woody Allen movie and he loves Bergman. Um, yeah, he's gone on record to say Bergman's his favorite director. So, yeah, I've seen quite. I've seen Manhattan. I've seen Annie Hall. I feel like there's another one I've seen, but I can't think of it. it he goes across genre, but like it's always a Woody Allen movie, right? Right. And, yeah. Yeah. And Woody Allen stole the black and white titles that he doesn't. He stole that from Bergman as well. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, they started with every Woody Allen film the same black and white titles, and that's because he yeah. got that from Bergman. Steal from the best is what they say, right? Yeah, and he actually got to work with Sven Nickfist as well. Woody Allen did, I think, uh, on a couple of films. September, um, I think, I think, uh, Interiors. I think Sven Nickfist was on that one as well. Because there was a while in the seventies and the eighties that Woody Allen stopped making like out and out comedies and started making more family dramas. He starts, he stopped starring in them. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's a weird comparison to make on paper between Woody Allen and Bergman, but the sentiment in terms of like, you know, you're watching a Woody Allen movie kind of goes with, you know, you're watching a Bergman movie, regardless of the setting. It's happening. Okay. Igmar Bergman's bananas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So before we wrap up, can I tease next year a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I'm just so excited. So I think 2022, just like boutique uh, uh, Blu-rays and and sort of physical media is on the way up. uh, Our podcast is on the way up. (laughs) So (laughs) we're going to start between January and February next year. We're going to have interviews coming out with the George Eastman archive, which if you don't know much about that, I would strongly recommend spending five minutes researching what that is. They have a lot of Warner Brothers uh, catalog in their archive. And generally in in the U.S., it's considered them and MoMA uh, in New York are considered like some of the best archive film archives. Uh, So I can't I'm so excited about that. We have an interview that we're scheduling with Indicator. And we have an interview we're scheduling with Mondo Macabro. So they've all agreed to be on. And it's just a matter of scheduling in the new year. So. Uh, it's uh, for, for those who are less familiar with Mondo Macabro, they've been around for as long as Flickr Alley. They've been around 20 years, maybe more. And for kind of Euro sleaze and, and heavy genre films, they are the criterion. They, they put extreme tender loving care into every release. And um, the guys who runs it is like an encyclopedia of film. Uh, so I can't, I can't wait for that interview as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the indicator one so I can just tell them how much their box sets are like heroin. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so you see if they'll start sending us like review copies. Adam will be all for the review copies. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, have to, yeah. we'll have to try our luck. Um, <laughs> an A plus. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. And look, you know, listeners, if I've sort of harped on about it in a few episodes I didn't really talk about recently, but obviously the Patreon is there if you want to help support us keep the podcast going a couple of tiers available the links in the description um you know you get an edited version of these podcasts on one tier we do have a monthly newsletter that we're starting to do and put a lot of work into the reviews and stuff on that 
so if you want to get on sort of support us uh, and and you know chat to us as well you know you can comment and stuff like that on the post we'd love to sort of hear more from you the listeners because we feel like there's a bit of a blockade there we'd love to know what you guys think of the interviews what you want us to do more of what you want us to do less of yeah. the reviews are obviously going to be becoming as well you know the film club is still going strong um will we will we give a hint about what we might be talking about on the on the next podcast we got a few choices don't we yeah i think we're gonna have to choose two out of maybe three or perhaps even four i think we're probably gonna i think it's probably definitely we're gonna talk about uh baccarat which was Mm -hmm. a a big sort of sleeper hit of the last kind of two years after it's been going out through various streaming services uh through movie in 2019 then criterion channel got it in 2020 um, well, movie and had it in region B anyway, which was funny when I saw Criterion say they had the worldwide streaming premiere of it. And I'm like, you lying bastards. That was on movie in the UK six months ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as I thought that was funny when I saw it. So definitely back around probably a couple, uh, probably one more. So that's a little hint that we're, we're going to be talking about in the first podcast of 2022. We could talk about some Bob Clark possibly we'll have yeah. we'll, we'll see i think we'll have a few to choose from maybe a bob clark maybe we'll go to italy we'll have to figure out which we think we'll get better discussion out of <laughs> uh so yeah th- listeners thank you very much for being with us the whole way through uh 2021 it's been a tough year doing this podcast it's definitely kept me sane i can't i don't know if i can say the same for, for chris and zach um so, yeah <laughs> thank, thanks so much for listening guys and Have a safe Christmas and a happy new year. And we'll see you in 2022.